0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of The Christian Contrarian. I'm Gary Wayne, author of the Genesis 6 Conspiracy, and this is episode 45, Thief in the Night. So I thought I'd take a little bit of a break from the giant wars, and we'll get back to that perhaps on the next episode. And in those wars of the giants, and we covered off the Battle of Rephidim, we covered off the Battle of Athronim battle of Jihad, battle of Edrei, and the battle of the Midianites, and that all happened before Israel crossed the Jordan, before they were going to take the covenant land. And they were doing this not just to take the land, but they were doing it to retrieve God's allotted land that Jerusalem was located in, and the city of God, as it would become to known, and the capital of Israel, and all things that prophecy are are centered around. And so they're fighting for being in a position to be the nation of hope to produce the Messiah. They're fighting so that Jesus could be born, could come into the world and atone for the sins, be resurrected, and then come back again. And in the chronology of events, that's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for the end time. And so everything that we talk about in prehistory and history has a relevance to prophecy. And so we want to be able to understand as much about prehistory so we can understand as much as we can about prophecy. And we want to be able to get it right. Right. You know we don't want to lose our credibility we don't want to be predicting rapture when it doesn't isn't time for rapture we don't want to be pointing to the wrong antichrist we want to be doing all the things that we're going to be tempted to want to do as we get closer to the end time if in fact we're in the fig tree generation which i think we are and so we cannot lose our credibility when humankind and those who might be saved could be saved by losing our credibility. And we've seen how that's going to happen as we go through the birth pangs. And we're seeing the propaganda and the destruction of truth. And we're seeing the total corruption of the media that is only producing propaganda from one particular globalist perspective and belief system. And behind those curtains is this polytheist religion that's going to bring about the universal church and the world government to permit Antichrist to come. And so, so throughout this process, they're going to do what they've done in COVID. And we look at the research at Wuhan and as one classic example where they cancelled everybody who was asking merely questions about it taken down from all the high tech, slandered by the media, called conspiracy theorists, and on and on and on and on and on, and that's just about one of the birth pangs. What do you think they're going to do when we get closer to the end time, and we have so many Christians that are going to be out of step with the globalist movement? trying to stand up for the truth which we want to do but we have to do it in a way that role models it in a way that doesn't lose this credibility because this cancel culture what they've tested through COVID they are going to continue to do and they're going to use it against us so we want to get it right And even though they'll still do the same things, we want to get it right and not lose the planting of seeds with others so that we can save as many people as we can through leading them to taking Jesus as their Redeemer and Savior in the Word of God and to accept God and the Holy Spirit and to hear the calling of God and Jesus to come. So that's what we need to do. And so it's important, as I say, to get the chronology right in terms of end time events. And the approach that I like to do, one of the main things other than, there's two main things that I like to do, even though there's other rules that I'd like to apply to the approach as well, is one is, is to include all of the verses and not leave out the inconvenient ones, but more importantly, to place all the verses around what Jesus said, not vice versa. Don't apologize for what Jesus said. He gives you the chronology. This happens and then this happens and then this happens. You get the midpoint with the abomination and then this happens and this happens and this happens. And if you just let the word of God, the spirit of prophecy, whom the whole Bible is about, guide you through all of the complex prophecies old testament and new testament and then center center them around what jesus said you won't get contradictions and you won't get things out of order and rapture is one of those more significant events that's going to be the testing of the saints one of the chapters that i have in my book i call the rapture tragedy and i think it's a destruction and a shaming of the saints when humankind needs us the most. And so not only for ourselves, but for everybody else, it's important that we understand prophecy and we try and get it right. And so Thief in the Night is one of those narratives within the rapture sequence in terms of getting the allegory right, getting the chronology of events right, and making sure that it doesn't conflict with other scripture because it has to be perfect, everything's got to fit. And the thief of the night is one of those guiding markers in terms of the allegory that Jesus uses to refer to himself as as the thief in the night. So we're gonna start in Revelation 3.3 and we're gonna give you a fair bit of scripture here, but I want people to understand how important it is and how consistent this allegory is and how consistent it is with other scripture. So in Revelation 3.3, 3, it begins with, if you do not wake up, you will not know what time it is. You will, he will come like a thief, and you won't know what time it is, so wake up. Wake up is a key allegory for understanding thief in the night and when Jesus comes like a thief in the night. So wake up and watch is what Revelation 3.3 is telling us. And of course, we now put that back into Matthew 24 or Mark 13, but I like to use Matthew 24 and then place Mark and Luke with the additional information into Matthew. And I kind of get sort of the whole story and some additional details doing that. And no contradictions because it just fits, of course. Matthew 24, 43 to 44, Jesus says, I'm going to come when you do not expect them. When we're not expecting Jesus, that's when he comes. And with all of the prophecy that we get, you know, everybody's saying they know exactly when he's going to come. It's not when people are going to expect them. We can get a zero in on that timing, but we have to understand is, is we have to let what Jesus said guide us. And his instructions are to be always ready. Then in Mark 13, 32 to 37, it says, watch, be alert. No one knows the time, not even the angels, not even Jesus himself, only God. So those of you who are, who might tend to listen to people who are saying the rapture is going to be at this time, this exact time, this day. They don't know they're guessing and they're speculating and getting it out of the order of end time chronology and that's going to continue and i think it's going to get worse and that's the credibility aspect so we need to have a beacon of a light out there to make sure that people know that we have our instructions are to be alert to watch do not be sleeping when jesus comes And in Luke 12, 39 to 40, it says, Be ready. Jesus comes when you do not expect him. So we get all of this underlying messages to be ready and to watch and to be awake and to wake up and to wake up others to this fact. Because Jesus will come like a thief in the night when we're not expecting him. And then Matthew 24, 43, Jesus says, If you knew when the thief was coming, you would watch. But our instructions here, we do not know when the thief comes. And the allegory that Jesus is using is he's going to come when you think not. And I think that is going to all of the propaganda that's out there that's designed to, you know, help people. I think the intentions are good, but when they ignore scripture, when they don't put the passages around what Jesus said. I think we're going going to have a lot of people disappointed and deceived, and they may, may lose faith. And other people are going to say, where is this coming? And I'm going to come back to that. Because again, it's one of those key markers. And back to Luke 12, Jesus says but you do not know when Jesus comes it comes when he thinks not in Matthew 24:50 Jesus comes in a day when you are not looking for him an hour you are not aware of so we don't know the exact time we know the fig tree generation that that Jesus gives you in Matthew 24:32 so we know the generation and we know the birth pangs and we know the general timeline and the main events that need to happen. We need to follow that chronology that Jesus gives us because we don't need to know the season. We just need to know the generation and we need to be ready always so that we're always watching and not caught unaware. And Jesus has underlined it over and over and over and over so that we get the message. And yet, being the spirit of prophecy, he knows it's going to be an issue in the end time. So much so, we get this amount of warning to get it right. And that's why the Thief of the Night not only gives us terrific chronology with all of the verses, and I think it's used at least six times. So it's a consistent allegory with all of this other information I've been putting around it that goes with it. And so... In 2 Peter 2.4, which is an end-time prophecy, the time of the great tribulation that I'm going to touch on in a few minutes as well, for chronology's sakes, it says people are going to be asking where is his coming? That things go on since the beginning, but Jesus doesn't come. This is going to be a time of mocking. This is gonna be a time of persecution. This is gonna be a time when Christians are out of the mainstream and have been wrong several times. And that's the credibility that we don't wanna lose. We wanna be that beacon of light. We wanna say how things ought to be. And even though it's gonna be difficult for us standing up even with amongst the Christians and the peer pressure is gonna be so strong and we can hope for a sooner rapture but we have to be prepared for it not coming when we expect it and that we don't allow the complete loss of credibility for the saints who are testifying for Jesus. And there will be so many that are martyred in the first three and a half years of the last seven, that it's the tribulation of the saints. And so all things continue from the beginning, no Jesus, and they're going to be mocking us. And then matthew 24 5 to 15 jesus tells us that his coming is going to be after a whole series of events that include the birth pangs i've talked about a great deal in a number of shows that they get stronger all the way through and includes revelation with the seals and the trumpets and the bowls 25 percent 33 percent total destruction unless jesus shortened the days that's how the birth pangs work. They get stronger and more often. And it's an important allegory that you can also find that mixes in with the thief of the night. So it's important to understand the birth pangs and the tribulation of the saints. The affliction of the saints, as Matthew 24 talks about. And that's the Greek word philippes, which is the same word that's used for tribulation everywhere else. So we would like a little bit more consistency out of the translators. But the Hebrew gives us a clear picture that this affliction that is being talked about in matthew is the tribulation of the saints which are the saints of revelation 7 whom the martyrs are told to wait for that show up in revelation 6 part of the first fruits resurrection for those who are going to be martyred in the first three and a half years for standing up for the word of jesus these are the saints that are going to be martyred in the first three and a half years of the last seven And that is coming, is going to come after the gospel is preached to the ends of the earth. So that includes not only what the church has done, but also whom else that God is going to send. And he's going to send the two witnesses. And they're going to witness for three and a half years, preaching the gospel and prophesying. They're going to be hated by the world for what they are saying because they don't want to hear it. And their prophecies will be true. They will not be contrived catastrophes. They will be unknown, unexpected. But they know because they're prophets, the two witnesses. The 144,000 will preach for three and a half years. They start in Revelation 7 and ends in Revelation 14 as part of the First Fruits resurrection. So one presumes by that as part of the First Fruits, which they are called, they will also be martyred and taken to heaven. And then at the end of Revelation 14, you get a summary of what's going to happen in the last three and a half years. So it's important to understand Revelations chronology and all the details that happen afterwards are the details that happen within the summary that comes at the end of Revelation 14. And Jesus says that he's going to come after the abomination that Daniel spoke of. That's when Judea flees to the mountains, which is also important for chronology and time sake in Revelation 12 and before Revelation 15 in the first three and a half years, at the three and a half year point. And Jesus comes after that, and he gives you those details within his chronology afterwards. And Daniel in Daniel 9.27 gives us the number of those last seven years when the covenant is negotiated by antichrist who is going to permit the sacrifice for the first three and a half years and he's going to end the sacrifice at the crowning of himself in the temple in jerusalem at the midpoint so we get that that has to happen before and 2 Thessalonians 2 4 talks about the gathering after the apostasy. That's the great falling wave of the church into, into Babylon that starts to rise before the last uh, seven years. So you have 10 days of tribulation that happens in Revelation 2 8. So it's at least three years before. And then during the reign of Babylon, who is controlling the world government of 10 kings, that's when the, the saints are being. Um, martyred and that Luke and Mark testify to that the Holy Spirit will testify and give them the words through them to certain saints in the first three and a half years. And then In Daniel 9, 27, at the midpoint after Antichrist takes power, it says, then the end decreed comes and all things are going to be fulfilled. That's a very important marker, very important time. And in Matthew 24, 25, Jesus is going to come in the time of the great tribulation of the world not seen since the beginning. This is the same tribulation and destruction that is being talked about in 2 Peter 2.4 and further on with the destruction by fire when people are saying, when is this coming? This is in the last three and a half years. And when we look at adding in some more of the verses, now this becomes even more clear that you have 1 Thessalonians 5.1-3, you have, he comes like a thief in the knife when when people are saying peace and safety. That's because Antichrist comes to power at the midpoint and offers peace and safety after the Gog-Magog war, the Joel 1 and 2 and the Revelation 9 war, which is the counterfeit Armageddon that he comes to power on. And Second Thessalonians 2 verses 1 through 4, after the apostasy, after the falling away and after the man of the lawlessness man, the Antichrist sets himself in the temple. So everything fits around with what Jesus is saying. And then back to 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 to 3, after the peace and safety promised by the Antichrist, destruction comes swiftly, which matches up to what Daniel says in 927 after the abomination that, It will come like a flood in in another part of Daniel, but 9.27 is the end that's decreed comes and all things are fulfilled. And it comes as birth pangs complete, as in the travail of a woman. So the end time is when the bold judgments of full 100%, the full measures of the bulls, the full measures of the birth pangs are all fulfilled. So it's the completion of the birth pangs. You're getting the markers that are there for consistency, and and just as Jesus said that these are the birth pangs that you need to be aware of: wars, rumors of war, earthquakes, um, pestilence, and pandemics, er, and and famine. So you get those destructive birth pangs that are now coming into complete just and will be fulfilled just before uh, uh, and Jesus will, will come just before that. And Jesus is saying, do not sleep. 1 Thessalonians 1, 5 again. Do not sleep, watch, be awake, do not be deceived. Do not fall for the great delusion. For Antichrist, Revelation 13 is going to rule for 42 months. So we need to understand that. So it's after he rises, but before Armageddon. And before Armageddon and before the wrath bowls. And it's important to understand the timing of the wrath bowls. So we have to now look at First Thessalonians 5, 9 and 1, 10, because we're told that we will be saved and not suffer the wrath. We will... God will and Jesus will deliver us from the wrath to come. This is addressed to the saints in Revelation three ten, and from the hour of temptation that comes on the world, the tribulation not seen since the beginning, talked about in two Peter two four, and then in Matthew that that's the great tribulation, not the tribulation of the saints. And so he's not going to. We're not going to be saved by. Tri- from the tribulation. In fact, we're told to expect tribulation, and we're told there's going to be 10 years of tribulation, 10 days of tribulation in Revelation 2.8. So everything's sort of lining up, if you just sort of allow it to fit. And that this tribulation is not the wrath. What we're seeing at this point is the birth pangs, we're seeing the seal judgments, and we're seeing the trumpet judgments, not the wraths of bowls the bowls of wrath that are being going to be poured out that is what we're going to be saved on saved from and that begins in Revelation 16 with the details thereof so we need to understand that timing and without coincidence and in perfect harmony you have in Revelation 16 15 to 16 Jesus comes like a thief blessed is he who stays awake And then after that, you have the supper, which is a key part of Jesus' coming for the full bride. And then comes Armageddon. And so the thief works perfectly in terms of the timing of when Jesus is talking about that allegory in Matthew 24, Mark 13. And look, because the, the allegories of the timing and the thief are after the abomination when he speaks. We need to be looking in that direction. We can pray for a pre-tribulation rapture. and We can be ready for that. But we have to prepare people that we don't know when he's coming. We need to always be prepared and not to lose faith and have other people lose faith if the tribulation seems unbearable we have to find a way to be strong. We have to find a way to be the light in the darkness and that darkness will be horrific with the amount of persecution, the amount of concentration camps, the amount of genocide, the amount of torture, the amount of slander and on and on and on. And we're getting, we're seeing that in the early part of the birth pangs right now. And that's nothing to what is coming and we need to be prepared for that. And so Jesus is going to come before Armageddon. That we do know. And he's going to come after the abomination. And Jesus clearly lays that out. His language is giving you the order, you get the chronology. And in Revelation 19, we have the bride, but the bride also includes Israel that has to awaken, lost Israel invisible Judah. And so that has to be resolved as part of the bride. And so we need to understand the language of the last three and a half years and when the bull rafts are coming and how things are going to set out when Jesus comes for rapture, because after rapture, He's going to complete the bride and he's going to reconcile lost Israel and he's going to reconcile visible Judah back into one stick and back into the covenant and be there for the bride for Armageddon. So sometime early, perhaps in the last three and a half years, but before Armageddon and before the day of the Lord or the day of the God's wrath and a day is a year in prophecy, just as we get those 10 days in Revelation two eight, just as we get the week of years, the last week of seven years, seven days, that's consistent prophecy and used throughout the Old and the New Testament. And we get those timings confirmed, particularly when we understand that in the middle of the last seven, Antichrist sets up the abomination and Revelation 13 tells us that Antichrist is going to rule for 42 months. And when Judea flees, in, at the time of the abomination, Revelation 12 describes that fleeing and they're going to be protected by God for three and a half years. We get the timing. We get the commission of the 144,000 and the two witnesses for three and a half years. It's perfect. Everything has to fit. And it does if you just let it. So the year of the Lord's wrath And the year of the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, the year of the Lord, the day of God's wrath or the year of God's wrath, that is the year of the bull wrath. So just before um, those punishments of the bull wrath hits, Jesus is going to come sometime just before that. That's why he shows up as a thief in Revelation 16 in the time of the bull wraths. And possibly another year before that because he's going to come for Exodus, for awakened Israel. He's going to come, as Isaiah 63, 3-4 says, um, before the year of vengeance for Israel. So before the wrath, the day of the Lord, and a year of redemption. So there's another year that's being tagged on, and that's confirmed in Isaiah 61, 1-3, in the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor, and then the year of the wrath, or the year of the bold judgments fits perfectly. And the day of salvation, the year of salvation, the year of freeing the exiles and the prisoners, the time of exodus, as as Isaiah 61 talks about, and Luke 4 reaffirms that so that the saints of the church understand what's going on for the bride. And this is Ezekiel 37. And it happens after the Gog War. It happens after the abomination. This is the time of the dry bones. All Israel is resurrected and they will be judged. And they're going to be judged because Israel and Judah is not forgotten in the covenant. And they will have recognized Jesus as a sign that happens after the abomination. They'll mourn the one that they pierced, Judah will. And lost Israel who are in prisons around the world, they're going to be freed and they're going to recognize who they are and they're going to recognize that Jesus is the Messiah and and God is their God and they're going to remember their God and God's going to call them by name. And Jesus is going to, as Micah talks about, be at the lead of the Exodus and he's going to have seven shepherds and they're going to take lost Israel, visible Judah around, around the world back to meet up with Judah who has fleed from Jerusalem at the time of the abomination that God is protecting for, for three and a half years. And all of Israel is going to be brought back in as part of the bride in the year of the Lord's favor, before the year of the wrath, before the bold judgments, before Armageddon, and prepare them as part of the bride in Revelation 19. And so it's important that we show patience and we show accuracy and that we try and inform people how to look at prophecy and try and understand it but not get too far over our heels and be corrective where we can but in a role model that doesn't turn Christians off or non-Christians off, so that we can get people to hear the Word of God, to believe in prophecy, and be saved, and be saved for the ras. So, that's the Thief in the Night. I do have a document on this if you want to get a hold of me, but I'm hoping that you have understood that things fit together if you allow it, and that we need to become more aware of the days that we're in, and align our approach for how Jesus has prepared us. And until next time, may God bless you abundantly. And looking forward to, you, to talking with you again in a couple of weeks. Thank you. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office.